You are listening to A Taste of Romumu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romumu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So if you have a child, or if you were ever one, you're familiar with this question. It isn't manishtana, what is night is different. A little bit more banal. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? What a beautiful question. A child who wants to know if we've arrived. Arrival is so important for children. It's that liminal space, that space in between that can be a little bit confusing. They're not quite sure what to do. They don't really know how much time has elapsed. In a sense, tomorrow morning when we read the beginning of the fourth book of the Torah, Bamidbar, we, like the children, are wondering what has happened to the time. Because last we knew we were at chapter 40 of the book of Exodus, the building of the Mishkan, the building of the tabernacle in the desert. And then we interrupt this biblical episode to bring you all of the book of Leviticus. The Mishkan, the tabernacle, is Hukam. It is erected on the first day of the second year, the first month, Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And here we are tomorrow morning, Rosh Chodesh Iyar, the first day of the second month. A month has elapsed, and it took all of Leviticus. <laughs> is that something important? Okay. Now's a good time to turn off your iPhones if you haven't already. <laughs> so the Torah picks up in the book of Bamidbar with a story that has been interrupted. And it begins with something anomalous, it says, And God spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai. And that is the name of the Parsha, and in fact the entire book is called Bamidbar, after that first important word, Bamidbar, in the desert. In the English translation of that, when they went to title the book, they called it Numbers. The other overarching theme of the book is Numbers, the census. We'll talk about that tomorrow morning. But for tonight, we want to focus in on that word, Bamidbar. Because the rabbis in Midrash Rabbah and other places make a big deal about this seemingly superfluous location. Why do we need to know that we are now in the Midbar? Where else could we have been? Right, we had an interruption, but we're right back where we were. What's the big deal? Why do we have to be in the Midbar? Why do we have to be told that we're in the Midbar, we're in the wilderness, we're in the desert? And say the rabbis to tell us that the Torah was given, Michilte in Bachodesh says, the Torah was given dimus farhesia freely and openly in the Hefker, in the ownerless place. For had it been given in the land of Israel, say the rabbis, we would have said to the nations of the world, you have no share in this Torah, it was given here in the land of Israel. Thus, 
it was given freely and openly in the ownerless place. Let all who wish to receive it come and receive it. The Torah is given in a, a place called Hefker, an ownerless place, a place that has no possessions, a place that is abandoned, a place that is barren, a place that no one can lay claim to in order to teach us that no one can lay claim to Torah exclusively. Everyone has a portion if they want to take it. Significant. I'm fascinated, actually, by the whole piece of the land of Israel and the question, the assumption in the question itself. What we'd say in Gemara is the Hava Amina. What was the assumption? Why should the Torah have been given in the land of Israel? And maybe more deeply, why did the Torah have to be given in the desert? Okay, it's Hefker. It's ownerless. Okay, nobody possesses it. Great. But my understanding of the question is that it would have made sense for the pinnacle moment. We leave, Sinai, we leave Egypt, we arrive at Sinai. Where should we go? We go to the land of Israel. And where should we receive Torah? We should receive it in the land of Israel. The Torah is the moment, the revelation at Sinai. That's it, everybody. That's the Holy Grail. That's where we're going towards. As Moshe said, we're going to go serve God on that mountain. Okay, it's Hefker. It's ownerless. Wonderful. And I think the answer to the question is very simple. A theologian, a Lutheran theologian named Javier Alanis, I had this from a beautiful teaching from Rabbi Larry Bach. He said that a space like the desert is a psychical space where one experiences displacement as a way of being. Displacement as a way of being. He echoes in this the anthropologist Arnold von Gennep, who was the first in his classic The Rites of Passage to argue that societies develop rituals to mark transitions from one state to the next, from childhood to adulthood, from being single to being married, and there are usually three stages. The first is a separation, a symbolic break from your past. The second one, we'll get to in a second, the third one is the incorporation, the re-entry, after the break, the re-entry. But the second stage, he says, is crucial, and he coined the term the liminal space, from the word for threshold. A threshold is a space in between. We know the thresholds in our lives. I just came from a powerful weekend where I did, I think, seven threshold ceremonies. A bar mitzvah, a wedding, a bat mitzvah, a Torah, this. I had seven things. And each and every one of us knows that what opens up during those liminal spaces is precious. There's a sense that we're neither here nor there. We're not where we were. We're not yet where we're going. But we're in a space in between. And we know that the liminal space in our tradition, the space between, the first important one, of course, was the splitting between the halves of Abraham when he went through the animals in his covenant. And maybe the most famous and the most important is the mezuzah that we have on every door that marks a space that was and is not yet. The desert is the liminal space. The desert is that place between the land of Egypt and slavery, the thing that you knew and that it was familiar to you, and the land that is coming, the promised land. And here they are in the liminal space, and the Torah comes down in the liminal space. As if to teach each and every one of us that that's where we find Torah. Mm -hmm. 
Not just because the desert is hefker, it's ownerless, that's also one beautiful teaching. But it's in those transitions between that the Torah is made manifest, the wisdom that we need, the patience that we acquire, the impatience that we display, the hope that we cultivate, the faith. The Torah is given in the desert because the Torah is the mezuzah on the doorway to the land of Israel. And it is given there specifically, specifically there, because we don't ever get to the land of Israel. Isn't it odd, in a book that begins with an exile, right? We were in the Garden of Eden, then we're exiled, then we can't get back. That a book that is so full of promise, in a sense, the epitaph on the Torah is, almost got there. <laughs> almost got there. We were this close. We were this close. As if to tell each and every one of us that we never get there. We never actually get there. In fact, as soon as we get there, there's a new there. And the adult response to the question of the child is not our own question, are we there yet? Whatever there is for you, there, my there is when I get a shul, right? When I have a physical building, that's one of my theirs. And each and every one of us has it if it's professional, if it's relational, if it's familial, Whatever your there is, we hold it up as an aspiration, but the Torah says, have it as an aspiration, but don't think that you'll ever arrive there. As soon as we get to the land of Israel, we leave the land of Israel. As soon as you get what you want, you want something new. <laughs> if only we could distill the wisdom of what it would take. Maybe it could be captured in... Are we here yet? Are we here yet? Maybe that's why the Torah begins this book of liminality, of in-between, this book of, of fighting and discord and societal disappointment. This final book, which the Torah, in some traditions, is three books of the Bible, believe it or not. There are three. They call it the Bamidbar. is three books. Don't ask me how they get that. Three books. This most important of books, this end of the Torah, is teaching us a vital lesson in expectation management. And it gives us a very important piece of wisdom when it starts tomorrow morning. It says, make sure that you count all of the people. Take a census of them according to their names, according to who they are. I don't know if any of you remember this SNL skit. Anybody here watch SNL? By the way, this is only a test. <laughs> Were this a real emergency, I would not continue to talk. <laughs> we have lifeboats for you in case there's a flood. <laughs> Proceed to the nearest exit slowly and comfortably. Place the air, the oxygen over your head, and breathe. Thank you. <laughs> SNL, there was a skit a couple of years ago. It was called, What's My Name? And it had a series of, uh, it had two, two characters. People remember this? There were two characters, and the, the game show was kind of two very 
uh, interesting characters, both of whom seemed to be slightly upscale and whatever it was, and they proceeded to bring in front of them a couple of people who worked for them. First, there was a person who worked in their house, there was a person who worked in the <laughs> office, cleaning up the office, and each time uh, they asked the, the person, the contestant was asked, what's my name? <laughs> right? There was a doorman that said, I've been opening the door now for 25 years. I take care of your children every day, I bring them into school, I pick them up, what's my name? And, and, the contest, right, and the contestant's like, Javier, Jose. The Torah begins the Parsha of liminality by saying, notice the names. Count the names. In our lives, you know, day in and day out, when we're dreaming of, are we there yet, we're standing in front of a here. We're standing next door to someone who needs us. In our daily lives, in our buildings, going up and down in the elevators, in our daily lives, around our corner, in our daily lives, our friends who are part of your here, that as you're focused on there, you forget. I forget, we forget. Bamidbar begins and says, Suet Rosh, count each head, look at each person, know their name. Be familiar with what you have and here and now in this desert because you're not making it there if you don't know it here. You're not going to make it there if you don't know it here. If I don't know it here, there is no there, there. Every detour is a destination. Every face, a Torah. Every moment, Mount Sinai. This prayer from my dear friend Sheila Peltz-Weinberg as we enter Bamidbar together. A prayer for the journey, we could say it every day. When we first leave the soft warmth of our beds and don't know for sure if we'll return at night. When we get in the trains, planes, and automobiles and put our lives in the hands of many strangers. Or when we leave our homes for a day, a week, a month, or more. Will we return to a peaceful home, untouched by fire, flood, or crime? How will our travels change us? What gives us the courage to go through that door? A prayer for the journey, for the journey we take in this fragile vessel of flesh, a finite number of years, and we will reach the unknown where it all began. Every life, every day, every hour is a journey. In the travel is the discovery, the wisdom, the joy. Every life, every day, every hour is a journey. In the travel is reward, the peace, and the blessing. Amen.